Step by careful step, the hunter walked closer to the clearing. He had been trailing the boar through the elephant grass of the Saharan savanna all day. His prey was seeking the security of night, and with the sun sinking beneath the horizon, the animal just might get its wish. The trail went cold. The hunter cursed under his breath. He was too late. The sun dipped below the tree line, but there was still a bit of light, and it wasn't moonlight. As the hunter snuck into the clearing, he looked up to see a brilliant blue streak in the twilight sky. The anomaly illuminated the entire meadow before him, and sure enough, there was the boar he had been trailing, trotting through the grassy clearing. The hunter's eyes narrowed, and he crept ever closer, his path illuminated by the strange splotch of light in the blue-black sky. When he was close enough, he heaved the flint-point spear through the air at his target. It struck true, and the boar squealed one final time before toppling over. The hunter looked up from the fresh kill and up towards the bright streak amongst the tapestry of stars. Perhaps the light was his ancestors watching over him, ensuring a successful hunt. Regardless, his tribe would feast tonight. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. This is episode 73, Once in a Lifetime. Even with primitive tools, early humans figured out that the heavens were set in some sort of perpetual motion. Whether it was the gods holding the heavens together, an eternal cycle of death and rebirth, or merely a clockwork mechanism put in motion eons before, there was a sense of certainty in the continuity of the cosmos. Sunrises, sunsets, solstices, equinoxes, moon phases could all be forecast. And with advances in astronomy, even eclipses could be predicted. The clockwork nature of the universe provided comfort. But then, a scrape across the surface of reality. A comet would show up out of nowhere, not aligning with any celestial calendar. The streak of brightness in the night sky broke the mold of celestial normalcy, a spark of randomness in an otherwise predictable system. Countless humans have looked up at comets and seen foreboding omens, answers to prayers, or simply a source of light in the darkness. Every culture had their own interpretation. Often, comets were seen as harbingers of cataclysm and chaos. Some viewed comets as heralding the arrival of a great person or a deity coming down from the heavens to embody human flesh. Children born while a comet passed overhead were sometimes thought to be destined for greatness. The appearance of a comet could even indicate that the universe was out of balance and seal the doomed fate of imperial dynasties. The word comet comes from the Greek kometes, meaning long-haired. In the ancient Mediterranean, long, unkempt hair often meant someone was in mourning. Naturally, these long-haired stars were often seen as foreboding omens, signifying a time of great change or a coming calamity. However, Aristotle, eager to dispel superstition, declared them to be nothing more than fires burning along the firmament of heaven. Aristotle seemed to be right about so many other things, so Western philosophical consensus loosely held this view until the Renaissance. By 1687, what we now call the scientific revolution in Western Europe was in full swing. Academics made technological leaps and bounds in the fields of physics, engineering, chemistry, and astronomy. 
With imperial funding, the British Royal Academy of Sciences recruited the best and brightest scholars 17th century Europe had to offer. One of these curious thinkers was the genius Isaac Newton. Newton was consumed by the pursuit of scientific knowledge, often forgetting to eat or sleep due to his countless chemical and alchemical experiments. And by the 1680s, he had observed several constants in the physical world that he believed could be applied universally, theories about the laws of motion and gravitation. One of the few people who Newton compared notes with was fellow researcher Edmund Haley. Now, Edmund spelled his surname variously as Haley, Halley, and Hawley throughout his life, so the proper pronunciation is debated. I will be using Haley, as that is the pronunciation I've heard most. Far from just being Isaac Newton's friend, Edmund Haley was astoundingly brilliant in his own right. He worked as a geologist, mathematician, meteorologist, inventor, and physicist, but his truest love was astronomy. His father bought him his first telescope, a 24-foot-long behemoth, as a teenager. Haley was hooked from the start. His first submission to the Royal Society was a correction of earlier astronomer star charts when he was just 19 years old. As he grew older and eventually was accepted into the Royal Academy of Sciences, his academic achievements began piling up. In a public demonstration of a diving bell, Haley and five companions dove 60 feet deep in the River Thames and stayed there for hours. He experimented with barometric pressure, cataloged atmospheric conditions that fueled trade winds, developed actuarial tables for life insurance policies, and utilized a magnetized needle to create one of Europe's first liquid compasses. Haley's esteemed intellect made him one of the few people Isaac Newton could truly relate to. He and Newton would constantly bounce ideas off of each other. Newton was often discouraged when fellow scholars would challenge his theories, but Haley always supported him academically and financially. In the spring of 1686, Isaac Newton finished the first portion of Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, expanding on Johann Kepler's theories about the motion of celestial bodies and defining the theory of gravity. From an apple falling from a tree to gargantuan celestial bodies in motion, nothing was immune to the effects of this universal, unseen force. Isaac Newton experienced pushback about his theories from other members of the Royal Society. Some deemed Newton's theories as too elegant or simple to explain such complex phenomena. Newton was distraught at the criticism, and even threatened to withdraw his work from consideration. But Edmund Haley ensured his friend that his theories were sound, and that in the end, he would be proven correct. Through tactful diplomacy at the Royal Society, Haley persuaded friends in high places to publish Newton's work. However, upon estimating the cost of publication, the Royal Society informed Haley that if he went forward with publishing, then they could not afford to pay his annual salary for the coming year. But confident in his friend's theory, Haley went ahead with publication. And boy, are we glad he did. Newton's laws became the bedrock for classical physics, which itself is the foundation for much of modern science. He said of Newton's groundbreaking work, quote, Now we are truly admitted as table guests of the gods. No longer does error oppress doubtful mankind with its darkness. Unquote. Edmund Haley took Newton's newly published laws to heart and applied them to his first love, astronomy. One of Haley's first ever expeditions for the Royal Academy was to St. Helena Island off the coast of West Africa, best known as the site of future French Emperor Napoleon's second exile. 
1676, Haley set sail. Haley's goal was to utilize royal funds to build an observatory and use that observatory to chart the stars of the Southern Hemisphere. When he wasn't looking up through a telescope, he was looking down at one of his many books on astronomy. One night, while sheltering from an Atlantic storm, Haley was perusing charts about comet appearances from China and the Middle East by candlelight when he noticed something odd. Some of the comet sightings had certain similarities in appearance and direction. Even more curious was that the comets with the most similarities seemed to show up every 75 years or so. Edmund Haley made the simple yet novel conclusion that these celestial events were not separate, but were the same comet in a highly elliptical orbit. The comet would slingshot around the sun, be propelled into deep space, where it would eventually slow down, curve back, and make its way back to us, locked in a celestial dance where the partners only briefly interact every seven and a half decades. In a letter to his friend Isaac Newton, he wrote, quote, I am more and more confirmed that we have seen the comet now three times since 1531, unquote. After extensive research into the gravitational effects the other planets would have on the comet, Edmund Haley believed he had a concrete date when the comet would be seen again. He publicly declared that the comet would return in the year 1758. Astronomers in Europe marked their calendars and eagerly awaited to see if the prediction would come true. Haley had his fair share of doubters, and their voices grew louder as no comet was spotted throughout the year. But on Christmas Day, 1758, the comet arrived. Haley was proven right, and the comet has been named for him ever since. Haley was unable to be vindicated upon its return, however, because he had been dead for 16 years. The comet that now bears Edmund Haley's name is itself fairly unremarkable. It resembles a peanut shell-shaped dirty snowball. The oblong conglomeration consists of ice and space minerals, debris from countless deep space collisions over the millennia. At over 9 miles long and 5 miles wide, it's around the same size as the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. But Halley's Comet is not on some collision course with Earth. The banal, dirty snowball poses no threat to us, for the next few millennia at least. Most of the time, the materials that make up the comet remain fairly inert as the frictionless vacuum of deep space leaves nothing to interact with. However, once the comet re-enters the solar system and approaches the sun, the increased heat causes some of the ice to melt and evaporate. These particles of water vapor and dust refract the sunlight in different ways, creating the magnificent tail of light that follows the comet itself, a tail that can sometimes stretch over 60 million miles. Due to the gravitational effects from other planets and where Earth is in its orbit, the proximity of Halley's passbys can vary wildly. Some are close enough that the comet's tail fills up most of the night sky. Others are barely visible with even the best conditions. Depending on solar winds and the positioning of the comet, the tail can appear a number of vibrant colors, ranging from ghostly green to a deep blue or purple, which makes this dark hunk of nondescript space rock so beautiful for those of us bound to Earth. Since Haley is a periodic comet, we can go back and see where it shows up throughout history. The first ever confirmed record of the comet is in the Babylonian Talmud in 66 AD that refers to a, quote, dar which appears once in 70 years, which makes the captains of ships err, unquote. Haley blazed across the sky in the year 451, 
when an unlikely coalition of Romans, Saxons, Franks, and Visigoths finally defeated the fearsome Attila the Hun, then known as the Scourge of God. The comet was viewed favorably by the early Christian church, who viewed it as God's protection against the invaders from the east. In China, comets were often regarded as a physical representation of an imbalance of yin and yang. Too many ill omens, such as a comet, could even strip dynastic rulers of the mandate of heaven. The appearance of a comet has doomed many a Chinese dynasty. There are instances of emperors, arguably the most powerful position on the planet, stepping down when a comet streaked across the sky, stripping them of the mandate of heaven. In 837, Chinese astronomers reported an exceptionally bright comet due to its proximity to Earth. This is the closest Halley's Comet has ever come to Earth in recorded history, and filled up most of the night sky. Chinese chroniclers referred to it as a broom star, due to the expanding trail of light left in its wake. Halley's Comet had another bright pass by in 1066. Tensions in Europe were high, and a Norman invasion force crossed the English Channel. One old English monk, upon seeing the star, wrote, quote, You've come, haven't you? You've come, you source of tears to many mothers. It is long since I saw you, but as I see you now, you are much more terrible, for I see you brandishing the downfall of my country." Unquote. It is unknown whether the monk was old enough to remember seeing the comet before, but the ominous feelings it conjured were not uncommon. Groups of dirty pikemen loyal to the king gathered around campfires and preemptively boasted about the battle to come. Knights loyal to the usurper, now hundreds of miles from home, tried to calm their horses, the reflection of the comet on their polished plate mail and their horses' eyes. Both groups somehow knew they would be part of something historical, regardless of outcome. Their names might not make the pages of history, but they would be there when the gods of war rolled their dice. This clash of kings would end decisively. Harold, with an arrow through the eye, William, now William the Conqueror, atop the English throne. The Bayou Tapestry, which depicts the events of the Norman Conquest, shows a shooting star soaring overhead as battles rage beneath it. There may be evidence for Haley depicted in ancient stonework found in what is now Mexico. Some scholars argue that Mesoamerican astronomers knew about periodic comets and may have even predicted the return of Haley's Comet around the time of the Renaissance. In the year 1531, an Indian guru Nanak, the founder of Sikhism, who promoted a worldview of peace amongst clashing war elephants of the budding Mughal Empire, documented Halley's arrival as a, quote, long rising star, unquote. In Europe, the visuals from this 1531 pass-by affected how church-sponsored Renaissance artists portrayed the star of Bethlehem in their paintings of Christ's birth. Edmund Haley saw the comet that would turn into his namesake in 1682 and made the correct prediction of it returning in 1758. By the comet's next appearance in 1835, technological advances in astronomy allowed us to view Haley's comet in greater detail. Although photography would not be invented for a few more years, eyewitness accounts and drawings provide plenty of detail, with one onlooker in New England describing the comet as, quote, resembling a long sword with a blazing hilt." Unquote. Mark Twain was born under the comet in 1835 and declared during his life that he intended to go out with it upon its return. The next approach of Haley in 1910, with Mark Twain on his deathbed, 
was one of the closest on record, but also unique because the Earth itself would pass through the tail of the comet. Scientists had, by this point, ascertained that the tail of the comet was made up, in part, of cyanide gas. French astronomer and psychic researcher Camille Flammarion declared that our planet passing through the comet's tail would end all life on Earth. Other scientists quickly disproved this, as the trace amounts of cyanide gas was far too sparse to do any harm. But as Mark Twain once wrote, quote, A lie can travel around the world and back again, while the truth is still lacing up its boots. Unquote. Paranoia swept the globe, just as said globe was about to pass through the comet's tail. Newspapers ran frantic stories of mass suicides in Eastern Europe, or a cult in Oklahoma that was planning on sacrificing a virgin to avert disaster. These stories were mostly fabrications, but not all of them were. A California miner crucified himself in an attempt to stave off God's wrath. The price of voodoo protections skyrocketed in Haiti. Some anxious Americans plugged their keyholes with chewing gum in an attempt to stop the deadly gas from getting into their homes. Since cyanide gas can't pass through water, a Florida man sold space on his submarine. Stateside entrepreneurs sold comet umbrellas to shield people from the harmful gas and comet pills which would supposedly counteract the effects of cyanide. Those who bought these precautions were confident that they would be the smart ones left to rebuild the depopulated world. In reality, these failsafes were frauds, standard umbrellas, and sugar pills. Fears from the comet in China were enough for the ruling Qing dynasty to officially lose the mandate of heaven. Haley's comet had ended long-running dynasties before in Chinese history, but this time it ended almost 5,000 years of dynastic rule for good. Most people knew the chances of everyone on the planet dying were slim to none. However, the whole maybe this could be my last night on Earth thing was just enough to make the whole night unforgettable. In many places, work was called off, and people gathered on stoops and fire escapes to watch the magic after sunset. Parents let their kids stay up late. Lovers rendezvoused in the light of the comet's tail. There were late-night church services and tent revivals devoted to prayer, Raucous rooftop parties, complete with comet cocktails, swung on through the night as everyone looked up at our old celestial friend. Unfortunately, Haley's next appearance in 1986 had the worst viewing conditions on record. The comet was further away from Earth than during any appearance in over 2,000 years. To make matters worse for most of its trajectory, Haley was behind the sun from Earth's vantage point, so for many viewers, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, Haley's comet was obscured by sunrise or sunset. Additionally, light pollution from increased urbanization rendered Haley all but invisible to most. Amateur astronomers had to venture to remote rural areas to truly get a good view of it. However, scientific advances now allowed us to escape the confines of our planet and get a glimpse of the comet up close. Despite the Cold War winding down, the bitter rivalry between the United States and Soviet Union space programs held strong. NASA prepared a mission equipped with instruments to observe Halley's Comet to finally get an up-close, detailed look at the object. But the ill-fated space shuttle Challenger broke apart and disintegrated shortly after liftoff. However, the more modest Soviet mission proved successful, 
the Russian probes sent up were still able to collect some data. Although only 25% of Halley's surface was imaged in detail during the flyby missions, the images revealed an extremely varied topography with hills, mountains, ridges, depressions, and at least one crater. Analysis of some of the water vapor from the comet's tail showed a remarkable similarity to the water of Earth, lending credence to the theory that Halley-type comet impacts may have been what delivered water to Earth in the distant past. So, even though comets were often viewed as harbingers of doom, by bringing water to the planet, they may have been what allowed life to exist on the planet at all. Looking at Halley's Comet is like looking into a crystal ball. What you see depends on your own context, and often, you see what you want to see. What life-altering events have just transpired or are on the horizon determine whether the comet is good luck or a bad omen. Trying to divine the significance of this once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon is a fool's errand. But Halley can be used for a different historical purpose. When used as a measuring tool, history can look much different. One Halley ago, we lost a space shuttle trying to investigate it. One Halley prior to that, we had just invented flight. Another Halley back, and slavery is still legal in the United States. A Haley before that, the United States isn't a country. And remember, this is the average length of a good human lifespan. So we're just four lifetimes removed from Edmund Haley and Isaac Newton, eight lifetimes removed from Columbus setting foot in America, 11 lifetimes removed from Genghis Khan's conquest, 20 lifetimes from the fall of the Roman Empire, 40 lifetimes from the invention of writing. When history is measured in Haley's, we quickly realize we haven't been here that long. Very soon, in 2024, Halley's Comet will be the farthest possible point from us in its elliptical orbit, charting its course through the long bright dark, finally finding its way back to us in the year 2061. And its next appearance is supposed to be spectacular. According to calculations, Halley's Comet will be more than five times closer to Earth than it was in 86, so it will be beautiful, regardless of how much more light pollution and space chunk orbits above us by then. For a rare moment in Historium, I want you to look ahead, towards the future. Where will you be in 2061? How old will you be? Do you think you'll still be here? There's a long way to 2061. In that time, what fears will become realized? What dreams may come? How high the sea levels rise? What technological advances will improve lives or ruin others? What natural disasters, pandemics, or wars will happen in the meantime? What empires will fall? What empires will form from their ashes? Forecasting what exactly the world will look like in 2061 is, like I said, a fool's errand. All that I know for certain is that the world will look unimaginably different than it does today. Over the last few years, this little comet has become something of a fascination of mine. An eternal dance partner, meeting for a moment like ships in the night. For a few weeks, a vibrant streak of light would hang in our starry sky, only to disappear for a generation. But we know for certain that it will be back. I find it immensely comforting knowing that Halley's Comet will return. Very little of the future can be predicted, 
but Halley's Comet can. In a world where so much is the result of random chance and circumstance, it's comforting to know that Halley's Comet will blaze across the sky in 2061, whether I'm there to see it or not. Despite the enormity of human suffering in the world that is almost incomprehensible and sometimes makes me want to leave it, for the first time in a long time, I hope I'm around in 2061. If I'm lucky, I'll be 67 years old, looking up at a once-in-a-lifetime view of Halley's Comet. As always, thanks for listening.